You know, this morning as we um, were worshiping here, there's a beautiful river, an invitation for all of us to jump into this river. It's the river of God's presence. It's the river of God's peace. But you know, that river is also available on a daily basis wherever we find ourselves, not just here on a Sunday morning. And um, it is very easy for us to almost just take for granted that which we have here because we have such incredible richness here. So toward the end of last year, I um, brought a word um, which I entitled Grace. And I would like you to see that almost as part one and this morning being part two. And in that message for those of you that were here, I really try to bring out the fact that grace was an absolute free gift. It's not anything that we could do. We can't add anything to what Jesus has done, but we come as we are, warts and all. And I remember asking a question, you know, are we in our current position having received him and becoming new creations, are we sinners saved by grace or are we called saints? And my understanding of the New Testament, a believer is never ever referred to as a sinner, never ever. In fact, the word that is used to describe a, um, a believer is saint. And the word there is the same word used for the Holy Spirit. It's the same word as basically saying that you are most holy. And that goes even for the first Corinthians who were doing all manner of ridiculous things. But if we, are, if we see ourselves as something that we can actually do something that can actually take away Jesus' work, and we in essence saying that what he did on the cross was not enough. And so this morning I want to continue that. Um, and that's how we come in. That's step one. That's how we enter in onto this journey. But then we enter this journey. We are now new creations, and now we start walking with the Father. And the Father's heart, as Rob said this morning, is for us to grow into greater fruitfulness, is for us to grow into a place where, where we become alive. Even the early church uh, in Acts, it says that the Lord were adding daily to their number those who were being made alive. And that is the process that you and I are on. That's this wonderful journey of transformation that we are on. Because as we encounter Jesus more and more, as we encounter his love more and more, as we understand how he sees us and how he sees everybody around us, we are transformed and we become more and more alive. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, for those of you with your Bibles, Paul writes and he says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and beg you in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. What an incredible picture of our journey ahead. You know, the thing is, the Father loves us too much to bring us into the kingdom, do everything, and just leave us there, because really... We have got so much potential in him. And for us just to be left there would be such a waste. And this is the journey that he's walking on. And so Paul writes here to the Romans and he says, now that you have experienced these most incredible mercies of God in your life, don't just stop there. I appeal, therefore, that you would offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God, which is your reasonable service and your spiritual worship. 
So this morning, the second part of this journey that I'd like to bring out, it's not about duty. It's not about us. We owe him. No, we actually do owe him everything, but we cannot do things out of compulsion. It's actually we have the privilege to lay things down for him, to give our lives to him as a living sacrifice. And as we do, we partake of this divine nature, which brings us into a greater fruitfulness. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we were in worship here. It was a really intimate worship time. And really, guys, we are so spoilt just by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit here. We really, we have such deep encounters with the Father. Two weeks ago was, an, was such a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I was very happy not to preach. But the picture that I had a couple of weeks ago was, and I try to find it on YouTube, is a picture of um, taken from the Lion, uh, the Lion King where Simba was restored back to his rightful place as king on Pride Rock. And he's looking down over the Pride Lands, and the Pride Lands are teeming with animals, giraffe, rhino, elephants. And they're all, they're all looking up at him. And, and it's almost like there's this, this wonderful picture of unity because its divine order has been restored there was this pillaging that was taking place, but once divine order was restored, all of creation was just worshiping him. And it was like there was this wind blowing across the savannah, and as the wind was blowing across them, the animals were almost moving. And in that moment of worship, it just felt like it was such a picture in worship where we had put Jesus back on the throne, and there was this unity, and there was this love, and there was, as the Holy Spirit was blowing, we were dancing this dance with him, and I would like to suggest, you know, that as we come into the kingdom, the journey is for us to learn this new dance. Not the same dance, not the same things that we did before. Those things no longer work. Sorry, guys, my paper is frustrating me. And so the beginning of the year, Rob started off um, with the word devotion, which he felt was a word for this church. And this morning, I'd like to build on that, and I would like to call it surrender. I think there are many overlaps between devotion and surrender. And so this morning, I want to build on that. And so getting back to that picture of Lion King, you know, when we receive him, we are restored to divine purpose. Our divine purpose, suddenly we become alive. Whereas previously, we were objects of wrath. We had no hope. We had no future. And now we've been made alive, and now all the potential that we have in God is available to us. And so we embark on this journey or this pilgrimage, and it is a little bit like a dance. You know, we, on this journey and this pilgrimage, we, we, we learn a new language. The language that worked before no longer works, and we learn this new dance with him. And for those of you that know how to dance, and I'm not one of those, um, Shani's toes will attest to that that when you dance with somebody that knows what they're doing, you almost surrender and you allow that person just to take you. And almost to the, to the extent that you are able to just relinquish control is to the extent that you start having this beautiful, beautiful dance. Because the one that leads knows what they're doing. And so what worked for us before, where it was all up to us, all up to what I can put together, the plans I can make, how much I can do, it's no longer that. The kingdom is a totally different dance. 
The kingdom is all about us learning to relinquish control, learning to lay things down. And it is a privilege to lay those things down because we partake of His nature when we lay down these things that we always used to hold on to. And so for me, the key to transformation is laying down, which is another word for surrender. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus recounts two parables to his disciples. And the first parable is about a man who walks through a field. He's obviously looking for something because he finds a treasure, an incredible treasure. And it's such a valuable treasure that he goes away. He first of all covers it up again. He doesn't want anybody else to find this. He goes away, he sells everything that he has, and he comes and he buys that field. And the second one is where there is this merchant. He's a, a merchant that he knows his business, and his business is pearls. And he finds this one pearl. He's obviously seen many pearls in his life, but he finds this one pearl that is so beautiful and is so precious that he decides to sell everything else. And I'd like to put to you that this is the journey that we are on. You know, we might not fully understand the beauty of this pearl when we enter the kingdom, but as we walk with the Holy Spirit, as we walk with Him, we start seeing more and more of the beauty. We start seeing more and more of what Jesus has paid for us. We see more and more of the beauty and the heart of Jesus that as we see that, we cannot but want to lay things down. And so we, so we are on this pilgrimage now of unfolding more and more of what Jesus what Jesus has done. And Jesus himself says, uh, just to get back to those two, those two parables, you know, life is filled with people. We know a lot of people and every single one of those people are looking for purpose. They're looking for relevance. They're looking for something that they can give themselves to. And a lot of people find that in money and they find that in how beautiful they are or how powerful they are or how influential they are. But this, this merchant that found this pearl, he could find it in nothing else but this one pearl. And Jesus says, that's what this kingdom is all about. And we know that Jesus modeled this laying down so incredibly well. We mentioned it this morning, is that Jesus laid aside his deity, all the privileges that he had being the son of God. He laid all of those things, he surrendered those things, born in very lowly circumstances, and for 30 years, he learned the scriptures. And for 30 years, he learned obedience because he had a mission. He was inextricably plugged into his divine calling and his divine purpose. And that was to surrender his life. Now, if I had a look at a, at a, a natural example of, of laying down... Um, you know, it's a bit like how we come into the world. You know, we come into the world as a little baby. We cannot do anything for ourselves... We, we can't feed ourselves, we can't clean ourselves, we can't warm ourselves up, and we are utterly dependent on those around us, incredibly vulnerable. But this little baby grows up perhaps into like a little boy, and they become more independent, and they can start now doing things for themselves, and then they finally grow up into a man, and they, they meet a woman that they want to marry, and now they get married. And all this process, I believe, is, is such a picture of how we mature in the kingdom because now this man that is now married, he cannot just jump into his car and head down to Durban because his mates want him to go down. But he now has a significant other that he now needs to involve. And he almost needs to put down his desires and say, well, lovey, what do you think? You know, yes, dear. And, 
<laughs> and so there is this journey of submission, and then it goes to a whole nother level, almost by an order of magnitude, when you have your first child. Because this child is so needy and so dependent, and it doesn't... I had a friend once, let's call him Thane, because there are no Thanes here this morning, and he said to me, he was married and he just had his first baby and he hadn't slept for three weeks. And he said, you know, Jacques, the incredible thing is you can sort of um, negotiate and um, have a logical conversation with your wife because she's logical from time to time. But <laughs> he said it, not me. Don't kill the messenger. But, but he said, you know, like a little baby, you cannot. At two o'clock in the morning, when you've got to go to work tomorrow morning, you cannot reason with this baby. The baby doesn't understand. The baby just needs. And as a father, you sacrifice. You lay down. As a mother, you do. I mean, I think my wife does an incredible job with my children. We homeschooled, and you need to pray for us. But it is such a, it's such a picture of sacrificing, of laying down, of surrendering. And so for me, the journey of transformation, the foundation is surrender. Because as we mature in the kingdom, we learn, like Jesus, to lay things down. To now almost not put myself first. It's not all about me anymore. It's now about what he wants and how he sees things. And so for me, uh, um, so the foundation I'd like to build on is, is surrender. But... So far this year, I think we've referenced John chapter 15 three times, and I'm going to reference it again this morning. I know that Rob referenced it, I think it was four weeks ago, and I'm not copying Rob. I have prayed, and I believe I have my own revelation on this, so just so that you know, I'm not following his lead. But in the first seven verses, thank you, the first seven verses of John chapter 15, it's a very well-known um, piece of scripture, the first seven verses, it's basically where Jesus basically says that I am the vine and you are the branches. And in the first seven verses, he mentions the word abide four times. So obviously, it's quite important. And in the first seven verses, he, there's a progression. He says, first of all, he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And you, if you're cut off from the vine, you cannot produce any fruit. We can pick up Jesus' heart is that his heart is for us to be fruitful is for us to flourish. Then he moves on and he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches and if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And then in verse seven, he goes into a little bit more detail. And so in verse seven, he says, I'm the vine. Oh, just, just quickly, just back a little bit. The word abide there means to tarry or to linger. Um, and, but there is a, there is a third um, description or definition of this, and it means to be present continuously. I think it's such a beautiful picture of how we are to live grafted into the vine. You know, we can't be grafted in and out and in and out, in and out. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's with us always. And so it's almost like there's an invitation for us to be, be present continuously. Jesus is present continuously, but it's for us to be aware that he is continuously present with us. And so in verse 7, he, he goes into a little bit more detail and he says, if you abide in me, if you are continually present in me, if we are grafted into that place, and 
in, I think it's Psalm 16, it says, I think David gives such a wonderful example of how we abide in him. And he says in Psalm 16, he says, I put the Lord always before me. So almost like, the, almost like he puts on glasses, you know, like he puts on Jesus onto his glasses. And so when he looks at people, he looks at them through Jesus. When he looks at circumstances, he looks at circumstances through Jesus. And how would that change the way that we engage with our spouse, with our children, with our boss, if we have those glasses on. For the past couple of weeks, I've really tried to just focus on the, on the presence of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus being in, in the car with me. How, how does that change the way that I respond to the taxi driver that cut me off? How does it change the way that I respond to hitting a pothole? How does it change the way that I engage with people in difficult situations and circumstances, how does it change how I, how I engage with my wife and my children? And the first point to that would be, you know, maybe I wouldn't lose my rag if Jesus was sitting next to me. In fact, he's right in me. He's actually not even sitting next to me. But I wouldn't necessarily lose my rag because Jesus is watching. But actually, Jesus sees everything. But more importantly, if I know that he's with me, there's an invitation for me to draw out of his wells. Even this morning, there's a river here this morning, and even as I bring this message this morning, there's an invitation for me not to just follow the words that I've got prepared, but for me to dig out of this well that is flowing here, the Holy Spirit is here, and for you, the hearer, also to allow the Holy Spirit to quicken words to you, as, even as, as we speak or in worship or whatever it is. And so, so for me, the most important thing of that is not... What, how I wouldn't react, but that there's an opportunity for me to draw from him that I can grow into a greater fruitfulness. The second aspect of putting the Lord always before me, I think again, refers to the picture of Simba on Pride Rock, that we give him the rightful place, that there is this lordship and this headship that I am now his. He's basically paid for me and I want to submit because I want to see his kingdom come. I want to be fruitful and I want to know him more intimately. You know, when you get married, somebody gives you a list of 10 things and this is what you need to do to be a good husband. You know, you could do those 10 things and be a shocking husband. But if, you, if your heart is connected with your wife, you will do those 10 things without there being a list. And this is the love dance that we are on with Jesus is that as we encounter his goodness, we willingly want to put these things down because we see, we see what he calls us into. We see who he is, the one who is calling us into all of these things. And so that is the first part of this verse 7, which says, if you abide in me. And then the second part of that verse is, and my words abide in you. The word there that is used for word is the word rhema, which means the living word of God. If the living word of God lives inside of you or abides in you, and it's almost like we are, now that we are these new creations, we are these kingdom incubators. And there is the general word of God that God speaks to us, which is a love letter to all of mankind. But if we read it without the Holy Spirit speaking to us, it's like reading a novel. It, it, it wouldn't really, it'll give us a lot of nice principles, but if we know the person that is speaking those words, suddenly those words become alive. And as we read, as we read his word, 
the Holy Spirit, if we will allow him, he will quicken certain words and they will start germinating inside of our hearts, inside of this kingdom gener- um, incubator that we are. And, you know, the one thing about um, restoring divine order, the gospel, if the gospel finds, takes root in our life, it cannot but bring fruitfulness on this level. And that means your relationships, our relationships with each other, the way that I see things, Maybe I was judgmental and now I can start seeing things how Jesus saw. But there's a second part to this word abiding in us. And that would be the specific word that God gives us. And this is a church where the prophetic gifting is very well established. And I would hazard a guess that here today there are very few that have not received a prophetic gifting, a prophetic word for, to encourage you or to help you hold on to something um, and if you haven't, please come up afterwards. We would love to pray for you and give you a prophetic word. You know, we want to put ourselves out there and trust that the Holy Spirit gives you something. But I think such a wonderful picture of, of uh, a kingdom incubator holding on to specific word is the life of Joseph. And we know the story of Joseph. Joseph has this dream. The sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow down to him. And being 16, he's maybe not the wisest guy yet. And he shoots his mouth off and he tells everybody, invoking the ire and the jealousy of his brothers and indignation from his father. But it was still a word from God. And maybe, you know, sometimes God gives you a word for you and sometimes he gives you a word to share. Like Mary, Mary kept in her heart all the words that were spoken about Jesus. And she was waiting for the right time to tell him this was spoken about you. And sometimes we are in that position where God speaks to us a word and we have to hold on to that word for a long period of time. So, but back to the life of Joseph. He goes on a journey and, um, and he, he's, he's almost killed. He's falsely accused. But all the time he's holding this word in his heart. And in Psalm 105 verse 17 it says, Joseph was in irons until the, until the word of the Lord proved true to him. And it was almost like the process is that the word, the dream that God gave Joseph was for him, but it was not for that time because as we can see, his wisdom maybe did not match the level of the promise. And so there was a period of time where the Holy Spirit just had to help him and he had to almost work these things out. In another version in Amplified, it actually says, Joseph was in irons until the iron entered his soul. And it's almost like there was a, I remember Bill Johnson saying this once, he said, God the Father cares too much about us to bring this huge, beautiful building, your purpose, and establish it on a foundation that maybe is not strong enough to support it yet. Because God is in the business of building to last. He's not in the business of building cheap that falls over. And so sometimes he takes time with us. But on this process, on this journey, it is the abiding in him that gives us the strength. It's the empowering grace that gives us the strength to incubate this thing until such time as the foundation, until the iron enters our soul and suddenly the foundation is solid. And within a day, he was moved out of jail to the right hand of the Father. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that on this journey, even sometimes there might be a time when it looks like things are tarrying and things are taking its time, but all the while, the, the, um, that seed is germinating, that seed is growing into a greater level of fruitfulness. And then there's the third part to that verse 7. 
So he says, if you abide in me, if you are continuously present in me, and my rhema, my living word, abides in you, and you're incubating these things that the Holy Spirit breathes upon you, in verse 7 he says something, which some might think it's a little bit reckless, because he says, you will ask whatever you want, and it will be given to you. Now, for those of us more mature Christians, my word, that's a dangerous scripture to give to a new Christian. Actually, it's not. Because if we read it in context, so John chapter 15, a couple of things, just to understand the context of John chapter 15, why Jesus could make such a bold statement that you can ask anything, anything, and it will be given to you. So on the foundation of abiding in him, grafted in him, almost getting our identity from him because we are nourished by him. We're being weaned off those things that no longer work. And then after that, he says in verse 13, he says, whoever wants to be the greatest among you, you need to be the servant of all. So the, so the society will tell us, but for you to be the greatest, you've got to be the strongest, the most powerful, but the kingdom is the other way around. And so in 15, if we look at the context of what Jesus is bringing here, in the context of you will ask whatever you want, he says, if you want to be the greatest, you need to be the servant he also says, no greater love is anyone than this. And he lays down his life, coming back to surrender. And then in verse 14, I think it's verse 14, yeah. In verse 14, he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Because a servant is working to achieve, is working to earn. But a friend enjoys the feast, enjoys the table. And so in this context, Jesus is happy to say, you are my friends. If you serve, if you surrender, if you lay down, then you will ask whatever you want. And in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 34, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's a very similar scripture to this because delighting is that picture of the savannah looking up at, at Simba and saying, you are everything. You are our king. And in that, yes, that's what that word delight means. But there's another meaning to that word delight. In delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires. And that word delight means pliable. How does that change the way that we see things? If I'm pliable in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. And again, it comes back to the surrendering, this laying down. But Lord, I want what you want. Lord, I don't, I no longer, you know, when we come into the kingdom, we lay down our rights. You know, the world is so full of, you know, these rights, children's rights, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, all those rights. But when we come into the kingdom, we lay down those, those rights because we are now part of a different kingdom. And, and as we willingly lay down those things, the Lord gives us some things that are, that are, you cannot compare them with the rights that we have laid down. As a parent, as a, as a husband, as a wife, you know, when... Um, when Jesus speaks to, or, or um, Paul writes to husbands, and he says, Husbands, love your wives and give yourself to them, even as Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. What a picture of surrender. And so this is a kingdom that's not built on success as we know it. It's a, king, a kingdom built on, as we lay down, we succeed. As we lay down, we flourish. As we lay down, we become fruitful and I suppose the highest accolade we could ever give is as we lay down, our Father is pleased with us. 
It's the most beautiful thing that we could ever do is because the only, the only time we can give God something of values on this side of the cross. In heaven, there is no sickness. There is no, there is no sadness. But on this side of the cross, we can give Him something that we could never give Him before. And so I'd just like to close off with Romans chapter 12. I think there is so much wrapped up in this. You know, when we come into the kingdom, it is such a beautiful thing. The angels worship in heaven when we are transformed. But on this journey of this new dance that we are walking with Jesus, it is literally about us. It is our spiritual worship, it says in Romans 12. It says it's our spiritual worship is to lay down, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, not a sacrifice that's on the altar and then crawls off, but a sacrifice that stays there. And as much as we are experiencing such encounters with the Father, He's calling us into more. It can't just be about a Sunday morning where we have goosebumps and we have, but actually... The transformation is in our everyday life. It's in everything that we do. It's in every relationship that we have. And so this morning, I just asked, I would like to ask if we could just stand. Father, we thank you for the journey that we are on. We thank you, Lord, that this is a love dance, Lord. It's about learning to let go. Um, it's not about us, Lord. It's about you, Father. And Father, even this morning, Lord, we just want to make ourselves available, Father, as like a blank piece of paper. And we just want to say, Lord, Lord, what we experience here this morning, Father God, what we've experienced here this morning is so precious, Father God, so wonderful, Lord. But we ask, Lord, that this would not just be a transformation on a Sunday morning, but, Lord, that this gospel would produce fruit, Lord, in our everyday, Father God. That, Lord, that we would be your ambassadors, Father, that as, even as, as Rob prayed this morning, Lord, that we would be carriers of hope, Father, wherever we are, Father, whatever the circumstances are, and that we would be continually present, Lord, aware of you, Father, aware of the wells that we can dig into, the wells that we can draw from, Lord. And so, Lord, we just thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you brood over your people.